Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Isn't that kind of that whistle, like your cute whistle? <laughs> Thanks, honey. Great support there. Sorry. What? That's okay. I probably needed that today. <laughs> well, it's just good to be in the house of the Lord. I know a lot of people are probably doing different things this weekend and having fun, enjoying uh, the transition of weather, hopefully back into some sunshine. Yesterday was probably much needed rain. I don't like to say that, but it probably was. I just am excited about what God's doing in us and through us, and uh, I just believe that he wants to continue this morning and kind of going deep in our lives. You know, we have to reflect in our heart and in, in our condition of where we're at as believers and as Christians, and I believe uh, it's important for us to really take a look at the influence that the gospel has on us. And from the beginning that if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you made a decision to accept him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here today and you haven't got to that point yet and you're contemplating or, or, or whatever you're, wherever you're at, God knows exactly where you're at and he has an answer for you. Today I just want to dive in a little bit more into the gospel influence we we're talking about. So appreciated, Jordan, you're sharing this morning. It fits really well into some of the things I'm going to share this morning, and uh, just the sensitivity to the Lord all of us had this morning just in worship, and that's exciting. You know, I want to put something on the screen here this morning that I had been thinking about, and this is that the good news shapes and molds us to where our lives reflect the impact that it has on us. If you think about that, the good news, the gospel message shapes us and molds us it, it, there's a reflection that our life gives of that impact on our life. We need to think about that a little bit. And what is that reflection that we give? How is that affecting our life and how are we living our life today based on the influence of the gospel in our lives personally? Lord, I pray as we take a few moments just to dive into your word this morning and talk about some of the things that are so important to us and that the good news of the gospel message for each one of us. And I pray that each one of us will open our ears, our hearts, Lord, to receive what you have today for us, and that we would be those that would reflect the impact of the gospel in a good way, in a great way, in our lives, in our community, in our church. And I pray a blessing on our time and each person here this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen, amen. You know, we do have a partnership with God in sharing the good news. That's a good thing, that he chose to partner with us. He could do all this on his own. He's more powerful than, than we can imagine, really. He, he could do all of this without us, but he chooses to partner with us because he wants us to enjoy the fruit of that, of what happens when we see somebody grab a hold of the good news and see it radically change their life and to see the difference from where they were to where they can become and where they're at. And so for those of us that have been there and experienced that, and it's an amazing thing, we learn to rejoice in God no matter what the challenges we face because we go through challenges, don't we? 
but we rejoice in God because we know what happened at the cross was so revolutionizing that it just radically changed us. It's the power of the gospel at work in our lives, and we see that. This morning, I want to tell a little story of, uh, I've never shared this story, I don't believe, in, in the years that I've pastored here at City Life Church, but it's the story of Saul's conversion in the New Testament, and this is a great story that shows the power of the gospel, the power of the good news, the power of Jesus Christ. And so Saul, who, he was educated in Jerusalem. He was one of those up-and-coming guys that was a leader that the, the Jews looked at and looked upon. And he, he was making headway, and he was a promising young Pharisee, <laughs> something we probably aren't trying to become young Pharisees. There were things he was doing, but here's the deal. He was really violently persecuting the children of God, the Christians, the believers. He was going after them because he had such a strong belief that what they were doing was wrong. And so he did his best to try to destroy the people of God's church. And so that was what he gave his life to do. He even approved the stoning of Stephen, stoning him to death. And I think about that. I take that a little personally because that's my name, Stephen. And I know my parents didn't name me that with the hopes that one day I'd be stoned. I know that. <laughs> Probably that I would be raised up to be a believer of God and a follower of Christ, which I am so thankful to be that. But Saul was, if we look in Acts chapter 9, and, and it's not going to be on your, up on your screen, but I'm just going to kind of take us through this story. But Saul, he was uttering threats constantly against the Christians, against believers, and every breath the Bible says every breath he was eager to go after, the, to kill the Christians, to take them on, any followers of Jesus. And so he called for the arrest of anybody who followed Christ. And so he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And so he was on his way to Damascus to do this, to grab them. And all of a sudden, there was an encounter that Saul had. There was a light that came from heaven and struck him. What? I'm Okay. Just in case. Nobody call 911, please. I'm okay. So he's down on the ground. He was struck by this incredible light, and something happened in that moment. All of those people that were part of his entourage were standing around. They were seeing all this. All of a sudden, this voice comes from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This rang loud and clear. Uh, who is that, Lord? What, what's going on? You're persecuting me. It's interesting because all of those that were standing around, they heard it, but they didn't see anybody around. They heard the voice. It was impacting. There was something happening. And so Saul's responding back. What a moment that changed the world. From that moment that it happened when he was on his way to Damascus to continue to persecute, he said, you need to get up, continue to go where you're going. Go to Damascus, and I'm going to set it up for somebody going to tell you what you need to do. Well, he gets up off the ground, and he's blind. He can't see when he opens his eyes. He can't see. So his entourage of his buddies, who were all probably part of the same persecuting group, they walked him to Damascus. At the same time, God is communicating with this believer named Ananias. You can imagine this kind of unfolding. He sent Ananias. He comes to him in a dream. Ananias, I'm going to send you to this 
to Damascus and I'm going to send you. You're going to run into this guy, Saul of Tarsus, and I want you to talk to him. I want you to show him how he's going to get his life turned around. He's, he's going to be a, a, become a disciple of mine. He's going to become a follower of me. And you can imagine Ananias is like, but Lord, uh, this is a guy who hates me, hates people like me. He wants to have me arrested and put in jail. I'm not sure that I'm buying into this plan. The Lord's like, no, come on. I'm telling you. So it goes on and it ends up that as he, he's talking to Ananias and as Saul is arriving there, and can, you can imagine, so he's obedient and Ananias goes and he finds Saul. You can imagine just the hesitancy and the fear that would be in there. Because I don't know about you, but I, I could find myself like getting around this guy who I know persecutes and has people killed and put in chains and thrown in prison, all that. And I'm to approach him to give him a, a word from God. Yeah. I would be a little hesitant. I don't know about you because we read the story and we're like, oh, this is a cool story and everything. But put yourself in that place. Put yourself in that. He says, I'm going to choose Saul to be an instrument in sharing the gospel message, the good news. Yeah. I'm calling him out to be the carrier of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to commission this guy who hates you and hates all these believers, but it shows you the power of God and the willingness of this man to go and, um, Saul, um, yeah, I kind of got this message for you. But see, God had already prepared. He already went ahead, and so Saul already was aware there was a message coming to him. I mean, something happened. Something transformed his life. So Ananias went and found him. He laid hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, he goes, that Jesus that appeared to you on the road, he has a plan for your life. And he laid hand on him, and, and he prayed for him, and immediately his sight comes back. He can see. It's like the scales fall off his eyes. He can see. Something incredible happened in that moment. You know, the interesting thing about what this story is, Saul didn't just at that time, sit back and decide, well, I'm just going to contemplate this whole thing. I'm really not sure what happened. I'm going to go home. I'm going to take a few days off, a few weeks off. I'm just going to kind of take this in. This was, this was a pretty big deal. This was a radical experience. But the Bible tells us, so he stayed there for a few days, but the Bible says that he immediately began preaching the gospel, the good news. He had no doubt in his mind what that good news and that gospel was. There was a revelation that came to him, a revelation that happened, that transformed his life. So he began to go through all the synagogue and began to speak and to teach and to preach. It said, indeed, he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He had a revelation that came. This one who persecuted the Christians is now, and you can imagine people sitting in the synagogue, there's just buzz around there of, oh, oh that, that, that's Saul. He, that's the guy who wants to kill us. That's the guy who, what do we do? And then all, you know, through this process, there, people begin to realize this is serious. But this is for real. What he is saying is truly from the heart of God. And the Bible says that his preaching became more powerful as he spoke and that, that the Jews in Damascus could not refute what he was saying, what he was talking about, that Jesus was the Messiah, the coming Messiah. He was so 
boldly preaching the good news of the gospel message. And it was just interesting because God showed his mercy, for one, saving Saul out of that. He deserved to be crushed. He deserved death. He deserved nothing good from God. But God came to him and said, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose the worst of the worst of the worst. And I'm going to demonstrate my power in saving you and transforming your life and having you become one of the best messengers for the good news. That's how our God works. That's the incredible thing that God did. He's the last person that anybody in Jerusalem or Damascus or anywhere thought, this is the last person that would ever be a believer in Christ, that would ever be a follower of Christ. Have you ever had those thoughts and thinking about people that you might know or come in contact with? And you tell somebody, that's the last person that I would ever think God would ever get to them. I can't ever see them getting saved. And you know what? God's up there going, hmm, yeah, let me do a little work here. You know, it's interesting. A few weeks ago, I was sitting in a a briefing with some uh, law enforcement people. And we were just talking about things. And I, I was mentioning about my desire to spend some time with different people and just as a chaplain, and they kind of had this little buzz talking around going, yeah, we're all pretty good with you coming and hanging out with us, but so-and-so over here, you might not be a good fit with him. And he, he starts laughing. And I said, no, I think I'll be fine. Now they're going, no, no, you don't know him. You don't know him. He, he's the worst of the worst in the sense of his take on Christianity, God, and all that. And I said, well, I, I think I can handle it. And so he pipes up. He goes, hey, he goes, I don't think you would do that well hanging out with me. He goes, I already know I'm going to hell. In other words, you don't have to tell me I'm going to hell, which is never my approach anyway, because I, I just come in, just, there's the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't need to talk about the destruction of hell because the, there's the good news. So at some point, I'm going to be hanging out with this person. And I just, the thing is for me, and I, I, this is what God always tells me, Steve, I don't need your help. That's fine. I'm just there as a carrier of his presence. Whatever happens from there is God. It's totally God. And so I just figured that's a challenge for God, which he, he doesn't have a challenge. Because a lot of times we think of, well, that's just too difficult. That's too much of a challenge. Well, that's the thing about the gospel message. It can penetrate anywhere, anytime. And guess what? God doesn't need you to force it. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. You're just, we're just obedient in being a vessel that we're open to whatever he tells us to that we share. And it's good news. We're not called to hit people over the head with the Bible and tell them they're going to hell. And it bothers me, honestly, when I see people on a street corner at with the signs that are written, you're going to hell and stuff like that. That's not good news. That's not good news for anybody. I would love to have somebody have a sign. I got good news for you. Amen. Then somebody will say, what's the good news? Nobody's going to stop and say is, hey, what's hell all about? <laughs> Tell me about it. I'm looking forward to it. Well, what is it? <laughs> so Paul writes to the church moving forward and the, the leaders in Philippi in Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to buzz through these scriptures because I'm already way into this thing. But Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 4, and we're going to jump to a couple other scriptures. Whenever I pray, this is Paul, I make my requests for all of you with joy. What a transition for, for Saul. Now, 
Paul, with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Jumping to verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. This is important. Verse 11. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. A genuine salvation experience produces righteous character in our lives, and that's how we know. How do people know who we are? Because our love for one another, right? Jordan was talking about this morning, such a powerful thing about love that comes out in the fruit of our salvation should be that we so want to please God. We so want to love him, and we so want to lay our lives down for him because he did that for us. And what happens when we live our lives in that such a way that the gospel of Jesus, the gospel message, the good news, becomes part of the fruit of our lips, that we talk about it, and when we encourage people with that, it produces good character in our life, and it brings glory and praise to God because he's looking for that. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. And this is all about having the attitude of Christ. That's something we need to be looking at. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Yes. Any comfort from his love? Yes. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Yes. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? There's a question right there. Is your heart tender? Is it compassionate? You need to ask yourself that. Sometimes we're not, are we? We are not. Sometimes. Other times, well, we need to be looking at that. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Here we go again. Loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. So many times we're just disunity and we're trying to do different things and we have different opinions and we're judging people and we're coming out all over the place, all over the map instead of going, hey, what's our job here? What have we been called to do? We've been called to love people. Love God first and then love people like crazy. I mean, that's what we do. We go after it. We're working together with one mind and one purpose. That one mind and one purpose is loving God in one mind, one purpose. We love him because he first loved us. Now we take that and we translate it into the same thing that Jesus said, that that was a command. Love people like you love yourself. Go after it. Love people. Verse three, don't be selfish. Oh, that's a tough one. Here's another one. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. How many have ever been humbled? One hand goes up. <laughs> Guess what? I got news for you. <clears throat> it's coming. <laughs> if you haven't been humbled, which most of you haven't, obviously, by the non-response this morning, I know I have, I'm telling you. And the moment I thought that God had humbled me enough, here comes another wave. And he goes, Steve, just in case, just in case you started getting that little ego thing, that pride thing going, I've got something for you. Try this on for size. And he's good at that. So stay humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. There is a key. We already think we're all pretty good, bag of chips and all that. Think of others better than ourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Are we doing that in the body of Christ for one? 
looking out for the interests of others. I think it's important. You're remembering that. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I think he had a pretty good attitude. And if we're called to have that same attitude, it's important. And it's really an attitude of serving out of humility. Jesus, his life was about serving. And he was such a humble servant. Enough that he even washes Judas's feet of all people. The person he knew that was going to turn his back on him. And he just gets down and washes his feet. Knowing, knowing what Judas was going to do to him, he still washed his feet. That's humility. We're to follow that. Do we reflect good news in our life when we're out there? Do we reflect good news? Or are we people who reflect being bummed out or being discouraged or being disappointed or being whatever it is? Here's a question. Are people at peace when they're around you? If you're a believer, if you're, are they at peace around you? They should be. Because if they're agitated around you or if they're uneasy and not at peace, there's something you're putting out that's, that's not part of what God put in you. And I know we all have our moments. We do, of frustration in that. But in general, if somebody says, I really don't like to be around that person because they, man, they just agitate me or they, they complain or they, they have this attitude. No, we need to have an attitude of Christ, and if we're serving in humility and we're there, there should be a peace that people have when they're around us. Our lifestyle is indicative of our true spirituality. I believe that. Yes, we all make mistakes, and we all do things that we wish we didn't. Jesus is the only one that's perfect in that, but it's a lifestyle I'm talking about. There's a lifestyle. It reflects where we're really at and the decisions that we make. Jump to Matthew chapter 4. Verse 23 and 24. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing, again, the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. See that all these miracles we're just talking about here, that's all connected to the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ that he sent his son, or that God sent Jesus Christ to the cross to die for our sins, and he rose again so that we would all have life. That is the good news. That is such good news. Romans 10, 7, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. When we begin to hear the good news, it builds our faith because we can see the evidence of that, and we begin to believe that that miracles are to be released, that the power of God is released in our lives and what we're doing. When these things happen, it builds our faith. So if you have a gift of healing or a gift of different things, and even if you don't have those gifts and if God's telling you pray for that person or you know, for whatever it is, and you pray and all of a sudden they get healed, that's a faith builder, not only for you, but for them as well. First Thessalonians 1.5, the first part of this verse says, for when we brought you the good news... Hear this, it was not only with words, but also with power. This is an important part of it. There's a lot of religions out there that have words, but they don't have power. That's the one thing we have with the good news of the message. There's power connected to the words. There's support. There's something. It's, I'm trying to think of the word, but it's dunamis power. It's like a power that's multiplied. That's this humongous electricity jolt that's a constant power that's there. So it goes on to say, for the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that we have what we have said was true. 
It's true. It's factually based. There's the truth. And we know the Gospels were written. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written. And most of the focus we see is on the latter part of Jesus' life and especially the last week of his life. And Because it really comes down to the message, what the, the Gospels, writers of the Gospel are really getting at. Because we don't learn a lot about the early part of Jesus' life. And it, not that that wasn't important, but the focus was on the latter part of his life, the miracles, and then it comes right down to the cross. It comes right down to the cross. And that was the crux of everything, what they're getting at. And the powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything pointed ahead to the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, back then, of course, it was word of mouth. We just read in one of the verses that word spread. They didn't have things that they were handing people like we have today where we can watch videos and read things and so forth. It was word of mouth. And that was the most powerful way to spread information. Now, once those people who had the words and that lived those things, that lived the time with Jesus and eyewitnesses, and they began to die off, then you needed to have, at, at some point, you have the writings that the Holy Spirit inspired that were given for those times, and we get to read those today, which are great. But the most powerful way of communicating still is through words, through word of mouth, body language, all those things. So when we talk to people, it's so much more powerful than handing them something that says a few words on it. Because they can read that, and it's kind of cool, but what about somebody hearing your personal experience with the power of God and what he did for you in your life? That's powerful. Now, I want to read a few verses in 1 John 3. This is Bible, and I'm reading you exactly what's in the Bible. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 5, but these are powerful verses that they place a very high value on the impact and the influence of the gospel message in our lives. It's incredible what is being mined out of here. Starts here in verse five. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins. How many can say amen? Amen. Amen. We believe that. And there's no sin in him. We believe that. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. Now, let me read the next part. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. So this is something where we were making a habit. So if people who say that they know Jesus Christ, they really don't if they continue to habitually live in their sin and continue to repeat the sin because they haven't had that Saul moment where the light comes down and shines and there was some transformation that's incredible because I believe as each one of us who are born into sin, we have an encounter. There's an encounter that happens where we say, Yes to Jesus Christ, the good news in the gospel. We say yes to that. But if we come to that and we sort of dabble in that a little bit and say, yeah, that might be good, that might be Jesus, that might be the gospel, that might be for me, it doesn't really radically change us because we haven't had that impact to say, yes, this is exactly what I need in my life. That's what it's talking about. Continue on in your sin. It says you really don't understand who he is. We fully don't understand who he is if we're doing that. Verse 7, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. Because I think in our culture today, we're hearing this. Compromise. Compromise. Oh, yeah, you can do this. You can do that. It's okay. God understands. I don't have time to go into all of this, but we understand grace. There is grace, and that's a good thing, that we have grace. But ultimately, the heart of God is to move us into that place where grace isn't really necessary. But we need it because we're human beings and we sin. So grace is there for us. It's available for us. It goes on to say, When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. Ouch. 
Who has been sinning since the beginning? We know that. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? Amen. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love others, other believers, does not belong to God. That's powerful. But it's there for a purpose. It's there for a reason. Because God's heart isn't that we're out there just sort of dabbling in him. Can you imagine if that was Saul? His conversion was just sort of a dabble, and he's back and forth. You know, well... Yeah, I'm sort of buying into this, but I still want to persecute the Christians. But yet, there's some of them are good, so I'm not sure. I might leave them alone. But you know, there might be something good about this gospel message, Jesus thing, but I'm just not sure. I like that. I'll receive it. But yet, I'm in this back and forth. That doesn't work. And that's why I think that the story of Saul's conversion, the absolute transformation, is important for us to understand. That's the heart of God for all of us, that we get that, have that moment And if we haven't had that, that we explore that and dive into it and find that place for us, that we know that we know that we know that he is our king and our savior and our Lord. That's so important. Matthew 6, 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. He will give you everything you need. We're searching all over the place for stuff we need. He says, come on, just come back. Seek me first. Seek my kingdom first. Seek everything about me first. All that other stuff will take care of itself because we consume ourselves with that and it creates fear. Jordan was talking about this morning. That fear is not from God. There's a judgment spirit behind that. There's fear that comes. Romans 14, verse 17 through 19. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but, get this, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Goodness, peace, and joy. Those are all good things. And that should be what we're reflecting our life when we're out there. There should be goodness, there should be peace, and there should be joy. And if those things don't exist, we need to take a a second to back up and check where we're at. Now, I get it. There's times when we're not joyful or we're not peaceful or, you know, those things. I get that. We have those moments. But as a lifestyle, that should be who we are. This is a question to ask yourself, and it's hard sometimes. If right now, if... 50 people that knew you were to write down, what are three words that you would use to describe? Describe this person. What words would those be? I think some of us would go, "Mm, I don't know that I want to hear that. But we need to make sure that we're living the word of God. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. As we keep coming back to this thing about unity, about love, about building each other up, about encouraging each other, about sharing the good news, we, we got to get away from this idea that we're coming in to have this attitude of questioning everything about each person. And if do they truly care or do they truly, are they truly sincere? Are we driven by what Jesus loves, which is getting into the lives of people? And I know sometimes it's not fun. We get in there and we go, oh, that's a mess I don't want to deal with. But if God is orchestrating and bringing us into the lives of people, here's something that I thought of. The more we withdraw from the needs of people, the more judgmental we can become. The more we withdraw from the needs of people, the more judgmental we can become. Because we begin to isolate ourselves away from people, 
We think we're better. We think, oh, I don't want to hang around them, or I don't want to get too close to that situation, or, you know, they're not really making good decisions, so I'm going to remove myself from them. But as we isolate from the needs of people, whatever those are, what happens? We can tend to become judgmental. Instead of if we're in there and we jump in there with them and go, you know what? They're messed up, but I love them because God loves them, and, and, I, and I want to encourage them. I want to help them. We begin to see and recognize, and all of a sudden, that judgment becomes more of a grace and a, a desire to care and to love. It's not our job to ultimately judge that person. That's God's job. Yeah. Our job is to love them. Now, there's an extent of what we do and how you know, we're not going to participate in certain things that, obviously, we, we understand that. But there's things that Jesus did. His whole thing was, I'm going to get into their house. I want to get into their business. I want, I want to sit down with them. I'm going to have coffee with them. I, I want to get into their mess. And he would be ridiculed for that. I think sometimes we have to be careful because we can have a pharisaical attitude yeah. ourselves. Yeah. We can. Because we're so Christianized, at some point we have this pharisaical attitude of judgment. and of, It's the same thing that they had that Jesus spoke against. And that's what Saul was doing, and God said, no, no more. You're going, to become, you're going to bring a gospel grace message. You're going to bring a love message. And people began to believe it and said, yes, this Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is. I want to read another scripture here. Galatians chapter 1, and this is Paul, starting in verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. <laughs> He's like, you know what I was like. I hated, I persecuted, I put people in chains, I had people killed. You know what I was like. How I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. Verse 15, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human beings. He had a direct revelation. He had an experience, a life-changing experience. That God's grace came on this person, this man, who was the worst of the worst of the worst. If God can do that with him, boy, he can certainly use us. He can certainly use us, because so many of us, we, we have these excuses, well, I've done this, I've done that, or God wouldn't do this, or he doesn't like. He said, no, I choose you. God chose you before you were even born. When you were conceived, the very moment you were conceived, God had a plan for your life. And his grace was already there, ready to be released. This revelation aspect is, it's, it's an act of God. He's the one that reveals to us. It's the Holy Spirit that uncovers things. People who wrote in the Bible, they, in their own flesh, in their own self, they didn't have any ability to do a lot of this writing, but it was through the power of the Holy Spirit, the aiding of the Holy Spirit. And so there's an uncovering and a, a revealing that, that God was able to do in the message. This message is simple. 
But the accepting of the message and the living out of the message can be a challenge for us. But we understand that message. And if we can 100% buy into Jesus Christ died for our sins and he rose from the dead and he's given us life, he's given us grace, he's given us mercy. We have various challenges and battles that we all go through. But we've been assigned for a destiny and a purpose. So how has this gospel message influenced your life? That's the question you need to ask. How has it influenced my life? Does my life today reflect the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Does it reflect that? Let's stay on this morning. This is, and the cool thing about this, this is the things that is just between you and the Lord in the sense of conversations that you need to have, that we all need to have. But if we're going to live out the word of the, of the Bible, if we're going to live these verses out, truly loving God and loving people and being unified and, and thinking of others before ourselves and all these things to see the selfless act of Jesus when he was on this earth and his servant heart with humility, that needs to all be reflected in our character. But when it's not from time to time, that's where we have the grace for each other, not the judgment. But we're in this thing together. So each one of us, we need to answer this morning, just answer to the Lord. How has the gospel message influenced my life? And am I living my life in such a way that I recognize that that was a powerful experience in a powerful moment. Lord, I pray for each one here this morning. Each one of us, God, we're, we're reflecting on our own lives. God, you're not here to ju bring judgment on people, that, but you're here to bring your grace, your mercy, the things that you're so good at producing because you have an end in sight for each one of us. Lord, I pray as we search our hearts as we listen to you, listen to your promptings. We would just simply respond. Thank you that you are speaking to us this morning. You spoke to us through worship. You spoke to us through your word from encouraging words from others. Let us leave from this place, Lord, and begin to process and digest the things that you're speaking to us. Maybe you're here today and you've never fully accepted the message of the good news of Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for your sins and he rose for you to give you new life. If that's you today, I want to pray for you today. We're going to close the service in a moment and maybe anybody else that wants to come up, you have a need for anything that you need prayer for, we'd love to pray for you this morning. You need healing. We just read Jesus in the miracle business loves to pour out his blessing on us. Amen. Let's sing this as we're closing this morning. And if you, if you need prayer for anything, feel free to come up. We'll do that. I just want to, again, so thankful for those that paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country. I think about that a lot. And as a lot of you know, we had a well, it's been 12 years ago now, one of our young men in our church gave his life over in Iraq for the cause of our country. So we reflect on that and we think about that.
Can we pray safety on every soldier and every person that is in active duty? Amen. Let's sing and respond if the Lord puts it on your heart to do so. Amen. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 